0: to be back here again in Pelsall. Uh, Nice to see you all. Uh, And this start of what for many is a half-term week, uh, which is why I gather so many uh, aren't with us. But uh, we're going to be looking at the subject of prayer. Now, most Christians, when they think about prayer, immediately think, I don't do it properly. Nobody will step forward and say, my prayer life is an example. I need to share how I pray with everybody. It's one of those things that we all know we could do and should do better. And all of us who know Christ are on a journey of uh, getting closer to him, of learning how to pray, of learning what his will is through his word. Uh, so with that in mind, let's, let's pray as we uh, turn to God now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the disciples were able to ask Jesus to Teach them to pray. And we would simply pray this morning that you would teach us, Lord, many of us perhaps have good habits in prayer, many of us perhaps have bad habits in prayer, perhaps some of us don't even have a habit of prayer at all. Lord, we pray that through your word and by your spirit, you would teach us this morning your will and purposes, that we can be your people, that we can honor you every day. Bless us, we ask it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, i put as the title there, so why pray? Ooh. Why pray? Prayer. It's one of those things. You need to understand what it is and why we're called to do it, really, to do it. Now, my definition of prayer was just up there. I'll put it up in a second. But why is prayer seen as being one of those things that is vital for Christians? That is vital for a healthy church. Um, I was quite shocked to find out it's it's now 16 years ago or so that uh, Mark Dever wrote a book called Marks of a Healthy Church. Uh, Some of you may know it. Uh, And he got into trouble when he wrote the first book because he didn't have a chapter on prayer. And lots of people said, Well, how can you have a church without prayer? And his response was something like, Well, I took it as a given. Anybody who writes, uh, I think this is what it means, anybody who writes an exercise book or diet book doesn't start each chapter by saying, before you try the recipes in this chapter or the exercises in this chapter, check you have a pulse and are breathing. If you haven't got a pulse and aren't breathing, this diet or these exercises won't do you any good. Prayers like that. My definition of prayer for what I'm thinking about this morning looks like this. Prayers that vital part of our dependent relationship on our Heavenly Father. It's vital. It's our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it's vital. We, we rely on Him. We're dependent upon Him. We are dependent. And it's that relationship and what God wants for us in that relationship that we need to think about this morning. Now, we had read earlier uh, when Jesus... Uh, taught the disciples about prayer back in Matthew uh, 6. If you've got it open, we'll just consider some things about that first uh, uh, that teaching that he gave his disciples. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Prayer at that time was seen as being just a religious thing. You did it so other people could see. Look how religious I am. Look how I pray. Now, that's not how we should pray. We shouldn't pray to be seen. It shouldn't be just to be seen like that because that's hypocritical. It's that relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. As Jesus talks about that thing that is in secret. He talks about going to your room and praying. And he talks about not babbling with babbling words. Now, we're not those who believe that there's a certain pattern of words that you have to say to God. And if you say them enough times, then that's like rubbing a magic genie lamp it will happen. That's not what the New Testament teaches about prayer. That's not what a prayer is. We don't have to keep on repeating words because God knows us intimately. He knows us. He knows what we need before we ask it. It's that relationship that we have with him that's important. But also, this in secret. Many people have said down through church history, that you are who you are when you're on your knees before God in prayer. That's who you really are. If you like, all the rest is kind of a show. should flow from that. But we are who we are when we're on our knees in prayer. And if you are never on your knees in prayer, that says a lot about you in terms of who you are before a holy God. We are who we are. Your Father who sees what is done in secret, who knows you intimately in your private heart, from the depths of your soul. That's the God we are calling to. That's the God we can talk to. But it's not just the private. We, we do it together. It's interesting, when you look at the prayer, obviously familiar words for us in uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven. Yes, it's something we do in secret, but it's something we share with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our Father in heaven that epitomizes that relationship, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. See, it's about us, his family, his people, individually and collectively, and that relationship we have with him, the King of kings, whose will is perfectly done in heaven, and we're praying that his will be done in our lives. Individually and collectively in the life of the church. That his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in us and through us. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's based on that relationship of forgiveness, coming to know him because of all that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done on our behalf. It's a completion, it's a carrying on of what that death, the resurrection and ascension means to God, our Heavenly Father. That we should come to him with our daily needs, give us our daily bread. We'll come back to that in a a few moments. But also, and often we've missed it off, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a part of what salvation looks like. We've just sung of, it's done. He's done all that's necessary for us in Christ. But it's not that God wants us to continue on in sin. He wants us to come to know him. To put off those things that were previous, over the old way of life. And to put on the new way of life. To come to know him. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation. That's what we pray for ourselves, but also we pray for one another. Is that how we pray? praying for one another. Essentially, this prayer is saying, Lord, we want your eternal kingdom to be visible today in the here and now in my life and the life of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Your eternal will, your eternal kingdom, now in me, in my brothers and sisters, that we can bring you honor and glory. First thing you notice when you actually study the New Testament prayers... Is how little they are about circumstances. They're always about changing hearts. Always about changing hearts, starting with a person who's praying. We all, all too easily fall into praying about circumstances, don't we? And perhaps most of our prayers end up being about circumstances. When you look at the prayers of the Bible, it's Lord, change me, change me, change us that your will, that your kingdom might come. And we need to remember that we're dependent on him for everything. But let's remember who we're coming to. We're coming to the almighty creator, the king of kings. He's the one who has the eternal throne. He's the one who breathed everything into being. He spoke, and it was. We're coming before his throne. But also... We're coming before our Heavenly Father. Uh, Some of you may know that uh, Julie and I lived for uh, a few decades in London. It's all right, we're recovering now. But we lived in London for a long time, and uh, we lived uh, about 35 minutes away from Hampton Court. Well, I say 35 minutes, that was back in the day. With with today's traffic, it takes about 50 minutes. But we used to go to Hampton Court, and one of my favourite bits, because they obviously have the a bit with Henry VIII's stuff, But also have the the later stuff. My favourite bit was the, I think it's William III, William of Orange, his his throne room. So you could go through, and the guide, either the audio guide or the the dressed-up guide, would tell you that this room, so many people could get to, almost anybody could get to this room. The next room, you had to go beyond. Only certain people allowed through there, and only certain people allowed through there. And then you finally got to a room where there was a throne, and occasionally, the king would come there. And then beyond that, there was another room with a throne. And more often, the king would come there, but only his limited people would be allowed to come there. I mean, the privilege would come there. And behind that was the room where he'd sit with his closest advisors, almost his cabinet. And then behind that were the family rooms where he lived and his family could come to him. I don't know if it ever struck you, but as Christians in Christ, we have access to all those rooms. Yes, parts of our prayer is to the throne, the eternal throne, that his eternal will be done. But also we have access to the family rooms and say, Father, Abba, Father, help me. Help me to grow. Help me to know you. As uh, Peter put it, Elias, you are chosen people, a royal priesthood. The priests were the ones that God said, you can come, you can cleanse yourself and you can come and serve close a holy nation, a God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have a privilege and we have a purpose, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. The wand of worship is that we worship him in spirit and in truth. Literally, God by his spirit comes within us and helps us to respond back to him. I don't know if you've ever realized, but the Christian life is one of response. He speaks to us. We respond back to him with praise, but also with changed lives, with changed hearts, with changed minds. God coming within us, enabling us to respond back to God. Not only do we do this in secret, on our own, We read in the beginning of Acts that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We can have fellowship with one another as we pray together. As we pray the prayers of God back to him. Now, of course, the best models uh, for us are in the New Testament. And we're going to look at Colossians. So if you'd like to turn uh, to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, In most of the Bible, it's it's in page 1182. If you've got the large print Bibles, it's 1828. I've chosen this prayer of Paul. I could have chosen all kinds of prayers of Paul because they're pretty much the same all the way through. (coughs) I'll start reading from verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1. just as it has been doing among you since you, the day you heard about it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told, you about, told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with a knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's Paul's prayer. What's the main theme of that prayer? What's the main theme? Or oh, I don't even notice this, but in Revelations it talks about the uh, the apostles are having there, they have the bowls filled with fragrance, incense, which is the prayers of the saints. Have you ever thought, what do your prayers smell like? There's a thought, isn't it? What do your prayers smell like in heaven? Do your prayers smell of eternity? Well, they just smell of this week, you know. What do your prayers smell of? What's the fragrance of our prayers? Well, let's look at the fragrance of Paul's prayer. So the main theme, verse 3, thanksgiving. We always thank God for you. Now, prayer is relational. I don't know, trying not to look around and see all the teenagers, but, you know, sometimes teenagers have a reputation for not being very thankful, not being very appreciative, you know. Mm. There's always something wrong with everything that happens. Not just teenagers. Some people stay like that through their whole lives. You may work with some people like that. You may know somebody like that in your family. Nothing's good enough. You know, there's always a complaint. Never really say a thank you. Never really appreciate things. If we're like that before our Heavenly Father, what does that say about our relationship to him? What does it say about the care we believe he has for us and about his will and purposes? Thanksgiving. Yes, Thanksgiving will always be there, both before the throne and in the private, as our Heavenly Father, with Thanksgiving. And then in verse 9, you'll notice it's ongoing. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We saw in the, the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Can you imagine if you prayed, Lord, give me all the bread and the milk and everything I, you know, I need for the next ten years. Give it to me now so we don't have to worry about it. You know, I like buying in bulk. Just give me all, that, give me all I need now. Of course, if you, that happens, after three or four days, you just have to have stale bread and milk that's going off. God likes to give fresh. He wants us to come to Him fresh, day by day, that He can bless us with fresh things. Continually, ongoing. He, Paul is praying these things for the church. But then we get to the main request in the second half of verse, verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with a knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. God to fill you with a knowledge of His will. I wonder, when was the last time we prayed that? Paul constantly prays that for individuals and for churches, that we might know Him, that we might know Him better. It's quite important, isn't it? Shows the relational side again, doesn't it? That we know what pleases Him. Because... We we have to please him because we are his sons and daughters. It it used to be. It's less so now. But the behavior of children would reflect on their parents, on the family name. You know, you bring dishonor to your family name. As children of God, we need to bring honor to him by doing what pleases him, knowing what pleases him, knowing what encourages him, what makes him smile. We have to that. that's how we're described. Not just that we described as being sons and daughters. we described as being servants or bond slaves. That's what the New Testament calls us uh, to be. Bought with a price, literally, the price of Christ's blood, that we might be his chosen possession, his special people. Now, the best thing about a good servant is that they're constantly looking to see what the master wants. They're not going off and trying to be creative over there and think, oh, I'll do this. Maybe they'll be me impressed with that. I don't know, maybe they will. No, a good servant listens to their master. What will please them? What will honor them? Not just what to do, but how you do what you do is what we're called to do. One of the other descriptions of us in the New Testament is that we're ambassadors. Ambassadors of Christ. Ambassadors of the gospel. You can't tell people of this dark world what the eternal kingdom of God is like if you don't know eternal king if you don't know him you need to know him better and better in order to represent him better and better to those you meet to those you live amongst and of course he reminds us that we don't do this in our own strength we just oh right I've got it I'll go off and do no we're dependent on the the power uh, and the spirit giving us wisdom and understanding we're dependent on that indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us making that God's word come alive inside us in our daily lives. So that's his main aim, that we'd know him better. We'd have this understanding of knowing God, what pleases him. But then the second part of the prayer, he talks about why he's praying it. He has an aim involved in this. Uh, From verse 10, we say, "'May live a life worthy of the Lord.'" There's a thing, isn't it? Worthy of the Lord. I wonder if I, you know, I drew a line and said, right, all of you think you've lived a life worthy of the Lord this last week, last month, last year, you know, come and stand on the line. It's almost like he who has no sin cast the first stone, isn't it? We'd all stay exactly where we were. But we are to be those people who live our lives in a way that brings honour And glory to God. Worthy of Him. We need to know Him better. So we can know what pleases Him. Live a life worthy of the Lord. Pleasing Him in every way. Bearing fruit. And growing in the knowledge of God. It comes back to where he started. He started praying that we grow in the knowledge of God. And that's one of his aims. That we grow in the knowledge of God. That we can continue growing in the knowledge of God. That we can continue living a life that honors Him. That we can continue... Pleasing Him. Prayer is that walk where we walk closer and closer. We have to know Him better and better. We love Him more and more because we learn more and more about Him. Not only that, but He goes on as He continues, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have a great endurance and patience. If you look at these, being strengthened, having endurance and patience, full of joyful thanksgiving, there's a picture growing, isn't there? You're getting stronger and stronger in your faith. Paul often uses the word maturity, people growing in maturity in their relationship with God. It means they know him better. They've grown up in the knowledge of him. Their lives have become so transformed by him, by knowing him. Of course, this is the family business. Did you know we have a family business in the church? I heard it explained like this, and I thought it was uh, quite gripping, really. If God thought our greatest need was economic, he'd send us the economist who could do that perfect thing. We'd have zero inflation, all our our, um, savings would have great return, and we wouldn't exploit anybody. Zero inflation, Great return on our savings without exploiting anybody. Of course, humanly speaking, you can't do that. All those three mutually fight against each other. But that's not our greatest need. Economics. God thought our greatest need was to do with health, and said, "Okay, what? I'll send somebody who can cure, you know, the common cold and cancer, varicose veins, diabetes. You know, all that." But he didn't do that. What did God do? Well, God knew our greatest need. God knew our greatest need was that we were dead to Him. Dead. Blind. Deaf. Dead. Spiritually. He knew that we weren't doing what we were created to do to honor Him, to glorify Him, to live in that relationship with Him. We knew that it was long past. We were just living in a dark world where all knowledge of him was just despised and turned away from. So he sent a saviour. He sent a saviour. He sent his son, who was in that perfect relationship, who didn't know him completely, who was the righteous one, who did everything that we were created to do, but failed. And he was the one, the righteous one, who bore our sin on the cross, that we could live in that relationship, that completed relationship with Him and be His, His chosen people and know salvation. The family business is salvation. That's what the Father, Son and Holy Spirit work for. Salvation. Did God save me so I could continue as if I was dead? Did God save me so I could continue in disobedience? Did God save me so I could just worry about economy and not about knowing him. Did God save me to worry about this week and not know him in eternity, in this week? The family business is to grow up in the knowledge of God, to grow in that relationship, to be mature in our knowledge of him, bearing fruit of obedience and righteousness where once there was just rebellion and indifference and rejection. We call to follow him. And of course, this can only take place if we know that 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 guilt, that debt has been dealt with, which is why Paul says in verse 12, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God should call us who are dead to him, who are heading as far away from him as we could, to follow him, to live in the kingdom of light, not in the kingdom of darkness. And this is what prayer is for in the New Testament, that people grow up in the knowledge of what this looks like in our daily lives, in our churches, in our families, wherever God places us. And we're called to be diligent in praying for these things. Let me give an example. Let's think about flying. Let's imagine we're flying. What kind of pilot do you like? Now, you see pilots, they've got a great seat at the front. Hopefully, they can see everything. I hope. But they also have all these dials, don't they, to show us, you know, the direction we're going in, how high we're flying at, you know, what speed we're flying at, whether we've got the fuel, you know, whether we're tilting to one side, and, you know, all those kind of things. They have those instruments there before them. Now, what type of pilots do you prefer? Do you prefer a pilot A who is diligently looking ahead? Yes, we're not, there's no mountain there. I can see there's not a plane coming towards us. But also checking the instruments, yes, we're going in the right direction. We're flying at the right pitch. The wind is blowing oh, that way, so I'll adjust for, the, adjust for the wind, keep on this right keel, you know Ships, never mind. You know, keep in the right direction. I'm not a pilot, you can tell. You know, flying in the right direction, flying the right way. I've got no fuel, I'm not burning fuel too rapidly, adjusting all that. Is that pilot A? Is that the sort of pilot you want? Or how about pilot B? Pilot B, you go, oh, it's great seat. Oh, we can see out. Isn't this great? Look at that. Isn't that nice? That? Is that Luton down there? Is that Luton? Is that, that where I'm landing? You know, Get distracted, looking at other things. Oh, thank you. Coffee. Yes, please. Thank you. All that kind of stuff. And then suddenly we're like, oh, hang on. No, oh, I'm lost. Well, we're not heading the right direction. We're tilting down. We're going down. We're going to crash. There's a, that's the rink in there. I'm going to crash into the rink in. Which of those two pilots would you prefer? Pilot A or Pilot B? I'm guessing most of us, unless we're complete you know, adrenaline junkies, would like Pilot A. One who's constantly on the case, keeping course where we're going. But here's the question. Which one of those two situations most mirrors your prayer life? Is our prayer life about Lord, keep me on the right course today. Lead me. Don't let me be blown off course. Help me to adjust for the changes this world is trying to do, because that's what this dark world will do to us. Try and pull us away. More of that tonight. We need to keep on that course, praying that His will, will be done in our lives, that we'd have that right focus. Keep the main things, the main things. Pray for one another. Pray that we would not fall into temptation. How many churches have been wrecked because a pastor or an elder or a prominent <coughs> member of the congregation is falling into adultery? If you go to those churches, you know, the we're sent sense of, oh, they've let us down. But then when you ask the people in that church, perhaps it slowly dawns on them that none of them were praying that he wouldn't. Are we praying for our pastors, for our elders, for our youth leaders, for those who are prominent in the community, that they wouldn't fall into temptation? Jesus told us to do that. Are we praying for one another, that we wouldn't fall? Are we praying for each other's marriages, each other's family life, each other's conduct at work, that we might live a life worthy of him? Who lets who down when we don't support one another in prayer? praying that we would honor God in the big things and in the small things. Or it's like you meet somebody who's been coming to church and you haven't seen them for a while and they they say, oh, well, I don't get so much from the sermons as I used to. And then the wise Christian says, well, have you been praying during the week that the pastor would open up the word of God to him, that he can open up the word of God to us and feed us on a Sunday? Have you been praying that you'd be receptive to your reading of the word and grow in the knowledge of him, is your highlight of, you know, a Saturday night, not watching Strictly or X-Factor or whatever, but saying, Lord, feed us with a banquet tomorrow. Feed us with eternal food that we might grow up in the knowledge of you, that we might be your transformed people. We might be those who've come from darkness to light, who've come from death to eternal life. We need to be diligent in praying these things. Uh, Those of you with really good memories might remember that many years ago, now I preached on Psalm 119. still very important to me. I still read it through and pray it through every week. Listen to some of these words. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll keep it to the end. Are we praying that God would teach us all individually his way that we can live it? what it means to be living a life worthy of him. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart, not just things that occupies my mind for a little bit on a Sunday, but that it might occupy my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. What do you most delight on? What are you most looking forward to this week? Is it God and your relationship with him? Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Boy, we live in a world that lives the opposite of that, don't we? Everybody's out for selfish gain. Incline my heart to your truth, your word. May I be a responder to your eternal truth this week, today. And verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, worthless things, and give me life in your ways. God's promises, God's way is not worthless to us, is it? May I turn from looking at worthless things of the 21st century and give me life in your ways. It's a joy when we're praying that, when we're in a group of people that are praying that, for one another, that we might grow up, that we might live more for him. We can pray about witnessing, but if our witnessing isn't based on a life transformed what are we witnessing to? We need to pray consistently for one another that we wouldn't fall into temptation, that we'd know him better. And it's a joy, because God's given us a special word. Do you know the special word? Amen. Amen. Simply means, yes, I agree, so be it. Truly, that's why one as well with the... The spirit in me, when it reads the word of God, that's the kind of response I have as well. We can sign each other's petitions before the throne by saying, Amen. I agree. So be it. Truly, that's why what what I want as well. Yes, it's important that we pray individually, in secret. We open up our hearts and souls to God and say, Lord, change me, teach me, mold me. Help me to put off, help me to put on. And we can pray together for one another. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So why do we pray? Well, because we are God's family. We are God's thankful, dependent people. Because we want to build one another up in the knowledge of him. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We want to be those who are rescued from darkness and walk in light. We want to see God's will being done in our hearts and lives. We want to see his kingdom come. Are those the things that shape your prayer? Are those the things that drive you to your knees and say, Lord, bless us? And because we don't want ourselves or others to be led into temptation, we need to pray for one another that we wouldn't be led into temptation. And we want to grow in our knowledge of him. Grow to understand why he saved us, that he might be glorified in and through our lives. you on the journey? Have you caught the vision? Do you know the Savior and the power of his word within us? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us if we are those who've made light of your salvation. Forgive us if we are those who've forgotten why you have saved us, if we've forgotten your will for us, that we might live our lives in the knowledge of you, that your word might come alive in our hearts. Lord, we do pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to have those priorities that we would grow to know you better that we would know what pleases you. Lord, that within the life of the church, we can pray and support one another, that together we might honor you, and that your eternal kingdom work would be done in us and through us, from our hearts outwards. Lord, that people might see that we are not those who walk in darkness, but we are those that have been rescued by your Holy Spirit by the precious blood of the lord jesus christ and we are those who are seeking to walk in the light lord may you be glorified in us and through us we pray for we can only ask it in jesus name amen